Welcome to episode 59 of the Listening Brain Podcast. Welcome to the Listening Brain. I'm your host, Todd Houston. In this podcast, we explore childhood hearing loss through the lives of the parents and families who are on this journey and the professionals who serve them. It is my pleasure to welcome Paige Stringer to the podcast. Paige is the founder and executive director of the Global Foundation for Children with Hearing Loss. Born with a severe to profound hearing loss, Paige benefited from early identification and early intervention services as a baby and learned to listen and speak. In 2009, she established the Global Foundation for Children with Hearing Loss in order to help young children who are deaf and hard of hearing and living in developing countries access the locally-based services that they need to listen, talk, and thrive. Prior to her current role as the organization's executive director, Paige held various marketing positions for 15 years, including at Amazon and the Clorox Company. She served on the board of directors of the Coalition for Global Hearing Health from 2014 through 2016. Paige has been involved in committee work at the World Health Organization since 2015 to help raise global awareness for hearing loss, including in her current role on the advisory group for the WHO Resolution and World Report on Hearing. She lived for a few months in Geneva in 2019 to lead the development of the communication strategy for the 2021 release of the WHO World Report on Hearing. She has been honored with several awards for her work in developing countries, including the 2019 World of Children Health Award, the 2018 A.G. Bell Association Award for International Service, and the 2014 Humanitarian of the Year Award by the American Academy of Audiology. Paige earned a full tennis scholarship to the University of Washington, where she earned her bachelor's degree. She holds a Master's of Arts degree from the University of San Francisco and her Master's in Public Health, Global Health degree from the University of Washington. It is my pleasure to welcome Paige to the podcast. Hi, are you creative? Do you want to give a webinar or teach a course? Maybe you're a writer. Do you want to create a blog? Maybe you have an idea for a podcast. Whatever your passion is, we at 3C Digital Media Network want you to be a content creator so we can bring your ideas to life. So, to get started, visit our website at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and sign up to be a content creator. We look forward to seeing your passions come to life on our platform. Paige, welcome back to the podcast. I really appreciate you being back with me. Give us an update. First, let's introduce you, if you don't mind, and then we'll get into an update on all the great work that you're doing. 
Well, thank you, Todd, for having me. It's always so great to be part of this podcast. So I appreciate the the invitation. Um, my name is Paige Stringer, and I am the founder and the executive director of the Global Foundation for Children with Hearing Loss. And we are based in the United States in the northwest corner um, up by Seattle. And um, but we our work is focused entirely internationally on low resource countries and helping to establish what we call the continuum of care, everything from early identification to habilitation, the whole chain of command that that involved um, in low resource countries for young children under five who are deaf or hard of hearing so that they have a chance to listen and speak and thrive. Sure, sure. So let, let's uh, maybe start with sort of your origin story uh, and what sparked this interest to do such critical and important international outreach. Well, thank you. Um, yes, I was born with a severe to profound hearing loss. Um, and when I was born in the 1970s, there was no newborn hearing screening in the United States at the time. And I was born to a family with typical hearing. So there was no reason to suspect that there was anything wrong with my hearing. Um, about a couple of weeks after I was born, my family moved to England. My father um, had been transferred over to London to do some work over there. So, so we picked up and moved over there. And the British health system has a um, um, part of the public health system is to have a nurse come around and to just check on young children, newborns, and make sure that they're developing as they should be doing. So um, so my mother welcomed this nurse into our home and she um, conducted a variety of tests, you know, just developmental type stuff. And when when they put my when they put me on my mother's lap and they sh- shook a rattle from behind me, I didn't respond. And so after a few more tests, they suspected there could be something wrong, but they decided to come back a few months later or a few weeks later, I think. And so then they came back a few weeks later, did the test again, and it's the same results. So they referred my family to um, some professionals in in England who confirmed that I did have a severe to profound hearing loss. And then I was immediately fit with hearing aid and provided with the support. My family was provided with the support to help me learn to listen and speak. And so that early stage, um, by the time I was getting services um, and had been fit with hearing aids and beginning services, I was 11 months of age. So at the time, that was very young. Um, in today's day and age, of course, we can do that much earlier. But that early identification and that proactive um, action by the professionals in my family made a complete change in my life um, and set me on a path for success that would not have been possible otherwise. So I've always been very grateful to that early experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was able to attend mainstream school starting in kindergarten and went through my entire academic career um, with typically hearing peers 
and was able to, um, you know, assimilate and um, enjoy my friends and family in in the hearing uh, community. And so um, we fast forward several years. um, I was working for Amazon and I had been working for other companies in the corporate sector. Um, And I, while I appreciated the learning experiences and of course the paycheck that all of that came with <laughs> I did I just feel like that there was something else that maybe I should be doing that might be more aligned with um how I wanted to be leading my life and so um opportunity came up um for me to step away from Amazon and sort of take time to think about what that next um chapter of my life might look like And so during that time, um, I was on the board of directors of a program in Seattle called Listen and Talk, which is a fantastic early intervention program for young children who are deaf and hard of hearing. And um, I just marveled at that time. This was about 2007. And I was just marveling about all the progress that has been made from the time when I was very young to what's happening today. Um, my first set of hearing aids was body hearing aids, and mm-hmm. I migrated from body hearing aids to analog hearing aids to digital. And about 10 years ago, I finally got a cochlear implant on one side. So um, I've really seen the evolution of technology. But more than the technology, there's also all the brain research and the um, fantastic professionals that have done amazing things to really advance the field. And so I got to see that firsthand and just really appreciated that. And then um, through my work, I was doing some freelance work in marketing communications and sort of, um, you know, taking that time to figure out what was next, but um, also leveraging leveraging my um, experience with Amazon to help the smaller companies develop their online marketing presence. And there was this one company that was in the travel space, and they were um, they asked me to to write an article and um, provide some information about customized vacation, where you tell a tour company what you want to see and do instead of following a set itinerary. Mm-hmm. So one company that came, that came out of these email communications that I was having to learn about this topic. Um, explained that they offered opportunities to volunteer in the communities where you could take a trip. And at that time, that was sort of a new revolution in travel. And I thought that was fascinating. So I asked them to send me some examples of placement. And they could have, they, they sent me a wide variety of things, everything from building wells to counting tigers in the jungle, which I still think would be a lot of fun to do at some point. Um, And the last thing they, the last example they sent me was teaching English to children who are deaf or hard of hearing in Vietnam. And they did not know that I have a hearing loss. Um, The communication was all through email, that there was no reason for them to suspect anything. And so I thought that, you know, this was something that I, I should do. I have the time to do it, so I should do it. So after I finished the article, I wrote to them and asked for them to arrange a trip in Vietnam that would end up at this residential school for the deaf where I would help the teachers 
um, you know, in any way I could and support their efforts mm-hmm. to teach, teach English to these children. And that experience really set the path for everything that came after. Um, I ended up in Vietnam and when I stepped out of the car to say hello to the director of this school for the deaf, mm-hmm. she marveled at my ability to be able to speak. She knew that I was deaf, but she thought that I would be communicating through sign language. So she actually questioned if I <laughs> was as deaf as I said I was. And there was a lot of confusion. But she also had been to Europe and she had just come back from Europe where the government had sent her and a contingent of Vietnamese professionals to learn more about early intervention, which was not being provided in Vietnam at that time. And so she now was back in Vietnam <clears throat> trying to figure out how to implement early intervention in her country. Mm-hmm. And so I was a product of that very early intervention she was looking to put into place. So it was one of those very serendipitous things where we, um, she quickly took me around Vietnam and she would nudge me and she would say, just say something. So I would say something. <laughs> and she would say, look, 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 look what's possible when somebody who is born with a significant hearing loss can, mm-hmm. you know, listen and talk. So um, all of these really interesting experiences kind of came together, really impacted me in a significant way because it made me realize how fortunate I really had been. And um, so when I came back to the U.S., um, uh, so the name of the director, her name is Tui. She and I had sort of mapped out a plan for how we could start to inform um, professionals in Vietnam about early intervention and develop some training program um, utilizing the expertise in the U.S. And that was where, you know, my connection with listening to talk I thought would be helpful. Um, and so to see what we could do together to bring this reality to life. But I approached other nonprofit organizations to see um, what could be done um, you know, to, to, to enable this to happen. And at the time, there were, you know, there were a lot of organizations that were, were very service-based, um, providing hearing aid fittings or, you know, going to a country and helping the children directly. But from the very beginning, we always had this idea that we wanted to empower the people in the country to be able to serve their own. So it was not about providing direct service, but through training, through education, through resources, we would enable the people in the country to um, be able to serve the children themselves and then share that knowledge with others to make the benefits exponential and sustainable. Sure. And there was nobody um, that was doing that. So I thought, well, then I guess I would just start a nonprofit and make it happen. So in, um, in 2009, um, is when I established the Global Foundation for Children with Hearing Loss, which mm-hmm. is designed to um, address just that. So we started our first program was in Vietnam in 2010. And our whole model is, again, focused on helping children zero to six with hearing loss learn to listen and speak mm-hmm. no matter where in the world they live. It's such a great mission. And... Uh... It's it, it always um, fascinates me because because 
I'm I'm one who I just don't think that coincidences happen. I think there's always a reason why these things happen. And the serendipitous uh you getting connected and all of that and and then that little that little email and that little description of that program you know <clears throat> changed your life and changed the lives of those professionals in Vietnam and and those kids. So it's really amazing what you've done. How many years are, are you still going to Vietnam or how many years did that program last? Yeah, so we uh, we were in Vietnam for nine years. So we started in the South with uh, training teachers um, and technicians, audiology technicians, audiologists at the hospital. Um, and we and we had to, we developed this fabulous team of professionals who came from a variety of program, mostly in the U.S., but Canada as well, and a couple from um, Asia, where we um, developed a curriculum to teach pediatric audiology, auditory verbal therapy, and early intervention. And so over time, that curriculum has become more and more solidified. But uh, we started in the south of Vietnam training 95 teachers from 35 different schools and early intervention programs. So we'd come to gather in the summertime and spend um, a month or more with us. And then during the year, we would visit specific locations to support them in the facilities where they were working. Um, and then the government of Vietnam, it was a very much a grassroots effort. You know, tied to this one particular school that had incredible connections with other programs in the South. And then the government um, sort of learned about what we were doing, and we were invited to expand up to Hanoi in the North. And so we did um, continue our programs up there. And then um, in the middle part of the country, the people we trained from the South um, ended up leading training for the people in the middle part of the country. And that was where our team became um, mentors for the Vietnamese training Vietnamese, which was the ultimate goal of our right. initiative. So it took about nine years. I mean, we really started from scratch because at the, in 2008, they didn't know anything about cochlear implant, very little, if any, about early intervention. There were no early intervention programs. But there was a lot of um, education and awareness that needed to happen in addition to training. So it took us nine years of a lot of work. Um, and, of course, the Vietnamese get a lot of credit for what's happening in their country now and um, other organizations and companies as well definitely get credit too. But, you know, collectively, we all had a similar purpose. So, you know, it's about coming together to achieve a goal. And I think that definitely happened in Vietnam. So then we expanded to Ecuador briefly. We moved on to um, Mongolia. So we, we've been in Mongolia since 2016. And um, we initiated a new program in Nepal last year. That is fantastic, very large program there. And we'll be starting a, a new program in Kenya um, in a few months here in 2024. <clears throat> wow. Um, you you like going into some somewhat dangerous places. <clears throat> well, because uh, I was just you know reading things online uh, earlier today about uh, Ecuador and um, 
I think there was a gang that took over a TV station while they, they were on yeah. the air. It's just like, whoa. I know. Yeah, then, that's really sad. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah, and I have, I've had colleagues down there working, and, and I know they're, you know, always on guard, so to speak. And so um, what are your goals in Mongolia and Nepal? Well, um, our our program, I'll start with Nepal, because I think that's mm-hmm. really an exciting one. And hopefully the people listening will be interested in that, too. The, sure. the, the approach we're taking in Nepal um, is a, um, a kind of a community-based approach. So so in Nepal, there's, there's less than, there's about 55 audiologists and speech pathologists in the entire country. And these are people who have dual degrees. So most most commonly they go to India, which has the the joint degree of audiology, speech pathology. Um, And they have a kind of bachelor degree level in that dual degree. Um, But there's only... There's only about, you know, 55 or so of them in the entire country. And the country has 30 million people. So yeah. the number of professionals to the need is just not just not even coming close to meeting the need. And in, in addition to that, in Nepal, um, there's about 10% of that population is under five. And they don't have um, early intervention at all in Nepal. They do have... Um, well, I, sh- I should, they, they have some early intervention, but not for children with hearing loss, let me put it that way. And then they also um, are, um, you know, it's a very mountainous country. You know, we have the Himalayas and we've got, um, there's a, a, lot, a tremendous amount of geological differences as well as cultural differences, languages. It's, it's a very diverse country in many ways. And so um, when you're trying to get services to babies and young children, it's complicated by all of that. And in addition to that, um, there's no newborn hearing screening in the program. There's also um, um, the, the medical network is pretty fragmented. But what, what they do have going for them, though, in Nepal is that they have this tremendous public health network where they have community health workers that work in the various communities who are well connected with what's going on there. And so because in Nepal, um, many babies, um, I, I think that I'm not exactly sure, but I think it, it keeps changing. But I would say certainly more than half of the babies born in Nepal are born at home. And so they're not born in the hospital where you might typically screen them for hearing loss or other issues. So what we've done is we're partnering with the hospital in Kathmandu to um, demonstrate how the continuum of care can be implemented in a country that has similar challenges like these. And so what we're doing is providing training. So the Global Foundation for Children with Hearing Loss has this network of um, a team of audiologists coming from different hospitals and locations in the U.S., um, and auditory verbal therapists who have joined this group. And we are training community health workers who have gotten a specialization in ENT work on how to do some of the more um, 
like supporting a basic task related to audiology and therapy. So the idea is not to replace professionals because that obviously sure. can't be done. But what we can do is task shift and share some of the important tasks that need to be helped done for these children. And meanwhile, um, providing education to, or I would call it professional development, to the um, professionals who are doing audiology and therapy because their training um, and just the nature of the customers or the patients that they're working with are typically not under five. So there's, there's a lot of opportunity, you know, behavioral testing, um, assessments for therapy, and you know, all the stuff that, that um, professionals who are trained to work with very young children have the skills to do that are not widely available there. And so by developing the skills in the professional, by training the community or health workers how to do newborn hearing screening in the field and then refer those who don't pass to the hospital for diagnosis and follow-up, hearing aid fading. And then when the families go back home into the more rural setting, they can work with the locally trained community ear health workers in our program to support the ongoing audiology and therapy needs. And so this program just started last year but it's already starting to really um, take root. And we're really excited about it because we feel like if we can demonstrate how we can um, utilize community health workers, technology professionals in this field to raise awareness and to provide services for very young children in a country, um, you know, in Nepal or other low-resource countries that have similar challenges, um, it'd be a great model to copy in other places. Sure. Well, two quick things. I don't know if you have heard, but uh, here in Akron, Ohio, we have a very large population of immigrants from Nepal. Oh, I didn't know that. We have a very large community. And uh, even two days a week, I'm over at Akron Children's Hospital you know, with their implant program. But yeah, we have several staff members who are interpreters from Nepal that are on staff because we have that many families that come through yeah, with their kids. So um, yeah, they've built a real community here. So it's, you know, it's really interesting. But the other thing you've heard of a, a walkathon, right? Yeah. I think you should do a climbathon and get people to sponsor how many, you know, every so many feet as you climb Mount Everest. <laughs> There, I think that's great. And so uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me if you conquered that at one point, at some point in the future. I think that's a great idea. I, I, My sister um, and I recently did an opponent-based camp over in Nepal, and there were a lot of stairs. And if I had talked to you before we had done that, that would have been great because we would have gotten some good money in there. <laughs> So it sounds exciting that things are, are moving in the right direction in Nepal. And so how does how is, does that differ with Mongolia? Yeah. So Mongolia is an interesting contrast. The two countries are similar in some ways in that they um, their services are concentrated in the capitals. So I mean, Nepal and Kathmandu is, is basically where you're going to go for tertiary level care. In uh, Mongolia, it's Ulaanbaatar. 
And then you have the more rural areas where you've got, um, you know, basic care, but nothing advanced. And so having that centralized care can be challenging for families who don't live in the city. Um, so they're both similar in that regard. In Mongolia, what we did was, so what, let me finish. So what Mongolia, um, they have a population of 3 million people in the entire country. So, and it's also um, the 16th largest country in the world from a terms of wow. land mass. So lots of wide open spaces. And if, mm. if, you know, if you want to get away from it all, you should go to Mongolia. <laughs> go there. <laughs> um, they, they do have um, very severe weather. The winters are harsh and their summers are, the summers are actually really nice, but the summers are very short. Um, so similar kinds of challenges as Nepal. What's different though is that in Mongolia they they don't they don't really have a public health system in the same way that Nepal does, where um, a lot of the people really depend on the community-based care. In Mongolia, they go to the they go to the doctor, they go to the hospital. Um, even in the remote areas, over ninety-nine percent of babies are born in the hospital, so they come in to a hospital facility. So that means that it makes it quite easy, in quote, quote unquote, easy right. to implement something like newborn hearing screening because mm -hmm. if all the babies are going to the hospitals, then that's where you focus. And because it's a relatively small population, you can make a pretty big impact pretty quickly. So back in 2016, the, uh, 2014, the government passed a mandate to make newborn hearing screening nationwide. At that time, there was only one hospital though that had the ability to do that, and so in so they were looking to implement it, but it was um, it was slow going. And so in 2016, uh, we got involved and um, helped them to to help them to develop a program that would be more than just screening because you can screen all the babies you want, but if there's nothing for them after that, then it's sort of a fruitless effort. So um, so again, going back to that continuum of care. So the continuum of care is not um, unique. You know, professionals in the field know what that continuum is. But what we really try to, we sort of coined the term continuum of care as a, a way to simplify for people who are learning about the steps involved that, you know, the first step is identification of hearing loss. Second step is um, timely fitting of hearing aids, cochlear implant to inform the families about different communications options. And then the last step, of course, is the rehabilitation. So the audiology, the therapy, um, early intervention, and that requires professionals and services. So that's what I mean when I talk about the continuum of care. So, um, so with Mongolia, we came in, we helped to establish newborn hearing screening in the capital. So today in Mongolia, every baby born in the capital, in the public health facilities, um, get hearing screening. So it's about 30,000 babies every year now. And we are helping to scale that screening effort into the IMAGs or what they call their, their different states. Um, and so that effort continues today. And then meanwhile, back in 2016, uh, we started 
um, conducting or teaching our training curriculum with the help of the Global Foundation professional volunteers who come and join us to um, Mongolian audiologists and therapists and educators about how to help these children learn to listen and speak. And so that's been sort of ongoing. Um, so we, so, so during the pandemic, we really were able to demonstrate the value of our model because we could no longer go to Mongolia because of the country being shut down with the world being shut down. So, but because we had trained people in the country, they went ahead and continued to strengthen their newborn hearing screening program. They were able to do a lot of um, internal remote training uh, between the different hospitals. So even though they could not go outside of their respective cities, they were working together to make sure that the screenings were still happening. And, um, and then the information was being shared with other professionals in the country. So I think it really showed that that model, that idea that we're not going to provide direct service. We're going to empower the country to be able to support their own really came into play. And I was really proud of that personally. I think a whole sure. team worked. Um, so the work continues in Mongolia. Um, yeah, so, you know, just trying to continue to strengthen that, um, especially in the therapy side um, of things and trying to reach beyond just the capital, but out into the more rural areas of the country. Right. And how long do you think you'll be in Mongolia? Or just but, never yeah, know? So, or just... Well, you know, we never put a timeline on it because it, it's interesting. It's like, you've, I mean, you sort of have a horizon in mind. But then, you know, as the work unfolds, we, our goal is to leave the country um, knowing that the work will carry on. And right now we have a, we have a, a sort of a indirect partnership at the Asia Foundation where there's, they have a, um, a fellow who's there and working with us to improve some of the tracking mechanisms for the newborn hearing screening. And if that were to come together well, as we all hope it will, it'll enable better tracking nationwide and enable the expansion of the screening piece to the other IMAGs. And then, um, uh, so, and then the training, uh, but we could be lost a few years with the pandemic. The, even though we did online training during that period, there really is nothing to replace the hands-on work in, in our opinion, you know, like being able to go to a place and show people how to do it in person, especially if they don't have easy access to a lot of examples in you know the immediate area. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I I don't think I really have a timeline in mind, but you know, certainly a little bit longer. Um, but and then of course the funding always needs to be available to do all this work. So, um, so we'll continue in Mongolia while we um, continue to develop in in Nepal and then initiate the new program in Kenya that we're underway with. So, so let's let's go to Kenya. So how so how is that? <laughs> let's go uh, yeah, to Africa. <laughs> well that one is um that one's brand new. Uh we have we uh will be initiating our first training curriculum workshop there in June this year. Um 
and the Ministry of Health in Kenya has just completed or endorsed their national ear and hearing care strategy. So they they had one prior to this, but they sort of revised it and revamped it, and the newest shiny edition has just been released. And so we're excited. We're playing a small part in the country's effort. It involves a lot of people um, to address that services. And it's really kind of a cradle-to-grave initiative there where um, they're trying to improve ear and hearing care nationwide for um, young children all the way to um, senior citizens. And so um, our piece of it, though, is to provide training, again, training for the in audit in audit auditory verbal therapy, pediatric audiology. Because in Kenya, they um as it is in most countries, <clears throat> if they don't have newborn hearing screening, it's gonna be challenging for them to have the um excuse them take a drink, drink of water. Sure. So without the newborn hearing screening, it's really um there's late identification. And then the services and the professionals just are not widely in place to support the early identification. So, um, so same thing in Kenya is we need to raise awareness amongst families, amongst the community to sort of eliminate the stigma that comes with um, identification of hearing loss in a baby and explain and show why early identification is better. And then we have to strengthen the services that are in place, um, mostly by, you know, educating more professionals that there's more people that know how to do this work with this specific population. So, um, so that's, that's the work we're doing in Kenya as well. So there is sort of a common theme through all of our, um, all of our program that is just really trying to raise awareness. I mean, even in this day and age of, you know, 2024, there's still a lot of low awareness about what's possible for children who are deaf and hard of hearing in much of the world. So we're trying to do our small part to help change that. Well, you are certainly having an impact around the world. So it's 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 just incredible what you and and the foundation has done uh, over these years, and uh, and how many professionals you've impacted, and how many children and families you've impacted. So I. You're one of my heroes, so I, I really <laughs> admire what you've done and seeing that need and then just going forward and trying to help. And I, I think that is so wonderful. We well, all thank you, Tavi. Do- yeah. We need to get you out on one of our programs at some point. It would be fantastic to have you. Mm. <laughs> I would yeah, I would love to do that. And uh, you asked me years ago, and, and uh, for different reasons, I couldn't go and, at that time. And so maybe maybe so. Maybe, maybe Kenya. Um, although my my uh, my skin is very pale, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the heat in Kenya might might be a challenge for me, but I'll be okay. Yes, wear lots of sunblock, right? That's right. Yeah, and mosquito repellent. <laughs> oh yes, and mosquito. Repellent. Yes. Yeah. Well, how can uh, people be in touch with you if they want to help? If they want to donate? Uh, to the program, uh, to the foundation, to support some of these efforts. Well, well, thank you for asking that question. Um, 
you know, of course, funding, we're a nonprofit and we're always looking for financial support, um, you know, for operations, but also for the program that we put on. Um, the thing that the thing that maybe I should talk a little bit about how we work. Um, sure. So our teams are fantastic. I mean, I can't speak high, more highly of the wonderful professionals that we have in our mix. It's about 75 people that have joined us from, um, you know, the U.S. and Canada and a mm-hmm. few from overseas. And um, the Global Foundation covers the cost in, um, of the, the professionals to travel to the countries where we do our work so that mm-hmm. um, when we're doing our training program and we invite them to come and join us to share their expertise um, we, 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 we recognize that that's time away from work and family and whatnot. So, um, so we do provide, we, we provide financial support to cover the tra- cost of travel. And we've also, it makes our programs a lot more expensive for sure, but mm-hmm. it, we have found it helps with continuity because it makes it easier for the professionals on our team to join multiple training events. And that, in turn, helps to develop, develop trust and understanding of the culture, the um, the people that we're working with in the countries where we are. Because a big part of what we do, actually, before we do any program in any country, we, we spend time in that country. Like, I go there and I spend a month or several weeks uh-huh. um, learning about the, you know, the culture, that who's, who, who's doing what, what the mm-hmm. real gaps are. And how we can help. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of humility that needs to come along in this work. Um, We should never just expect that um, we can go in and do what we want. I mean, that's just not how, that's not the right way to do things. And so in that upfront assessment of need that we do, you know, we identify very specific ways that we can help. And then we shape our program to meet those needs. And then we in, we invite professionals to join us who are aligned in our mission to share their knowledge with the people in the country. Um, so pe- we are always looking for talented professionals um, in audiology, um, auditory verbal therapy, um, and and in education, auditory verbal education, and early intervention. Mm-hmm. And not um, yeah, and and. We we generally like to have people to have at least five years of experience before they contact us, just because we feel like it's um, it, it's a better experience for everyone if if you can bring some practical experience um, to to that effort as well. Um, and so, if people are interested to volunteer, they would love to join us and volunteered for a couple of weeks on one of our training programs, we would we would be very open to that discussion. Mm-hmm. So the best way people can reach out is just to visit our website, which is childrenathearingloss.org. And they can see that they would search Global Foundation for Children with Hearing Loss on Facebook um, or on the online. And of course they can always contact me at my email, which is page at childrenwithhearingloss.org. So um, so yeah, so funding and people willing to help out in any way with the different countries we're in would be fantastic. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, again, I just admire everything you're doing, and it's just um, 
it just blows me away of how involved you are and what you've done and the impact you're having. So uh, congratulations on all that you're doing. And uh, you, you make, you make, me look bad you make the rest of us look bad <laughs> oh i don't know about that todd you're very accomplished <laughs> oh no we need to do more we need to do more well thank you for joining me today and uh good luck with everything that you're doing and uh i i hope that at some point in the future i can join you on one of these trips that'd be great i think that, that we would love that and um thank you todd for having me today and really appreciate your support of the global foundation for children with hearing loss over time really appreciate it I want to thank Paige for joining us on the podcast again. Yes, she's a repeat guest, and I really appreciate her coming back and sharing more about what she is doing with the Global Foundation for Children with Hearing Loss. And so if you want to learn more about the mission of the Global Foundation, or you'd like to reach out to Paige, go to www.com childrenwithhearingloss.org and you will find all of the information there and who knows maybe you can volunteer to go on one of these missions and uh, help out uh, some of the service delivery in other countries so Paige thank you for all that you're doing you and your team uh, is just phenomenal and uh, you are definitely one of my heroes and with that, thank you guys for listening to this episode. Please, if you don't mind, leave us that five-star review that helps us to attract those listeners and uh, move up in the rankings a little bit. So always helps. Until next time, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network. 